Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Um, some weeks uh, I get up to preach and keenly feel uh, a sense of the weakness of the vessel to convey the amazing truths of God in his word and uh, to our minds and to our hearts and our lives. And today is one of those days where I feel really weak. I feel, I was thinking about it, I feel a bit like um, an ant trying to explain rocket science, let alone understand rocket science itself. But it's just, it's just so far be, beyond me uh, what we're seeking to do today uh, and so far beyond us that it's kind of almost laughable. And it's not that it's particularly complex. Actually, what we want to do today is, is in one sense, to understand our minds incredibly simple, but it is beyond us. And because that's what, what, what I want us to do in the next half an hour or so, is to fill our minds and fill our hearts with God, with who God is and with what God is like. A Christian who, who was alive um, back in the last century called A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think of when we think of God is the most important thing. And so that means in this time, what we're embarking on is the most important moments of our week, the most, most important moments of your week. Because what you think and what you feel as you encounter the God of the Bible, uh, as, as we look at this today, will in many ways reverberate throughout your eternity. So um, I'm going to stop. I'm going to pray again. I know Callum's just prayed, but I want to pray again, and then I'm going to uh, read a little bit of Scripture before we, before we carry on. Living and true God, we ask that you would show your truth and your life to us this morning. That the thoughts of our minds, that the reflections of our hearts and the way we've gone to live our lives would be fitting to who you are. Amen. So um, it'd be great if you could grab one of these red Bibles. There should be some around. Um, hopefully that they're around. If not, some, some of the hospitality team might help you to get them. Um, and turn to page 970. I just don't know if there's any at the back. Was some put out at the back? You might be able to get some tobacco. That'd be great. 970, uh, Matthew chapter 6, if it's your Bible. Um, and um, we're going we're gonna to pick up and read the Lord's Prayer again, which is... Um, if you were with us last week, we're just working through the Lord's Prayer over this, these couple of months. So it's page 970, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And this is Jesus teaching his friends and followers. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, as we saw last week, in Jesus teaching this prayer to his friends and followers, he's opening up this new and this incredibly free and intimate relationship that we have, and this way of relating to God as our Father, as our good Father in heaven. And we saw last week how revolutionary that is, both as Jesus taught it, but even today, that way of relating to the God who is real, the God who is there, is absolutely revolutionary. And so, therefore, Jesus does teach us, and we saw last week, to come freely and to come confidently before God in prayer. But as we do so, we do so with a sense of respect and a sense 
of reverence. And so as the prayer continues, Jesus shows us what our first priority in prayer is to be, the top of our wish list, if you like, according to Jesus. And this is the second kind of line of the prayer that we're looking at today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now, I'm guessing that most of us have said that countless times, and yet perhaps never pause to really think what you're saying or what you mean. Just think about it at the moment, am I right? Hallowed be your name. What do we mean? Like, what, what is hallowed anyway? When does anyone ever use that word anymore? What's that got to do with God's name? And is, is this just about, like, not using God's name as a swear word or something like that? Well, no, it's, it's, it's much more than that. Hallowed is an old English word, and really it's a form of the word holy. Another helpful way of saying hallowed be your name, maybe a more familiar way of saying it would be, God, your name be honoured as holy. Your name be honoured as holy. Now, as you think about that, I don't think I often hear, either in myself or others, our prayers starting in that place dwelling on the holiness of God's name and saying, God, your name is so holy, may it be honoured in all things. But that's where Jesus would have us start. And so hopefully as we dig in, maybe we will start to pray a bit more like that and we'll see what difference that makes for us. Two big things to see in this, this, this prayer, your name be honoured as holy. The first one is God's holy name. God's holy name. See, names carry significance and meaning, don't they? They're not, they're not arbitrary. It's not a massive thing in most of British culture, actually, really. Um, but we're still often aware of the, the, the meanings that our names have. I had to Google mine this morning to kind of brush up on it because I'd forgotten. But, but most people probably know the, the, the names and the meaning of the names that they give their children. And, uh, and certainly your name would tell you a fair bit about someone's kind of culture or background or, or, or whatever else. In a lot of other cultures, names are still deeply significant and carry great meaning. We... Um, our household grew this week, but a number of four fish. And so we had to have a naming ceremony for these fish. And, um, and great care was taken when the fish were named to say something true about each fish. Not only so that its name was fitting, but so that we knew which one was which. Because if you don't create a link, then you're going to totally forget, don't you? As these, um, so, so, so a name was given to each of these fish that, that would reflect them in some way, even if it was ironic. So the, um, so the really big one was, is called Junior. Um, so, but, but, you know, there's something about the fish that is said. And, and, and if there's a connection between the name of something and the nature of that thing for us and for our fish and whatever else, well, how much more so is that true of God's? Sure, for us, it's often a loose connection and, uh, between our name and nature. But for God, that connection lines up perfectly, actually, because God is perfect. And so his name is an expression of his character and of his being, of who he is. His name communicates to us who God is and what he is like. And so we may get to choose names for our children and for our pets and for one another. But listen, we do not get to choose names for God. It's not our place to observe God, to look at him and say, yeah, God, you are like this or you are like that or this is a good name for you. God. No, God is the only being who is self-naming. He's the only one who gets to say what his name 
is because he alone def defines and determines who he is. He's the one being, uh, another way of saying it, but he's the only, and the only and one being who is self-originating. He doesn't get his existence or his life from anything or anyone else. This is what part of what it means for God to be God. He says who he is, and he says how he is to be known. So that means when it comes to God, there's no way that we could know God or, or know anything about him unless God first showed it to us. But we do know things about him and we do know him because he has shown it to us. And In fact, if you read your Bible, and as you read your Bible more and more, you'll see that all over the place, God is sharing his name with people. He's revealing who he is to them, so much so that God has to come up with multiple names at lots of different points to reflect and express a different uh, parts of his character and who he is. There's also this really interesting kind of thread that runs through the Bible story, and it's the sort of thing we can just pass us by, but if you know the Bible, as I say, you'll, you'll, you'll be familiar with it, and it's these references to the name, or the name of the Lord. A couple of examples, Psalm 148, verse 5, let them praise the name of the Lord. Isaiah 30, 27, the name of the Lord comes from afar. It's this little phrase that repeats right through the, the scriptures, and it's constantly drawing us back into God's character and God's nature that that name represents. Pretty much every time it would make sense, kind of, to write a sentence, just to say the Lord or God. But the name is always drawing us back, particularly into his character and into his nature. Listen, when you, um, when you meet someone new and you share your name with them, you've taken the first step towards relationship with that person, haven't you? That, that, that's a sign when you, when you give your name to someone, it's a sign that you want to be known in some way, at least on some level, that you're willing to share some, something yourself with them. Think if you meet someone and you don't give them your name, well, that's clearly a sign of, kind of some kind of avoidance or, or, or whatever for meaningful relationship. I think this is why um, most Brits felt super awkward when Starbucks baristas started asking for your name when you're ordering a coffee. Because you're just like, really? So most of us like made up and like, yeah, Terry. Yeah, yeah, Terry. Terry for coffee, yeah. Or Betty or whatever, you know. Because I'm not here to be known. I just want a latte and, you know, get, get on with my day. Well, listen, when God makes his name known to us, or when God refers to his name, which encapsulates his character, that is a move towards us and a move towards relationship. He doesn't want us just to know about him, but he wants us to know him personally. And then he backs up this revelation of his name and who he is by always acting out on it in history and in time and space. And so we experience this God in his actions in the world. And it's like the Marvel superheroes whose name is tied to what they do or whatever superpower they have. You know, you've got Iron Man and Storm and, I don't know, the geeks could tell me all the others, but I had to Google those to start. But this is the God of all things. So when he has to give a name that says something about who he is and what he does and what his capacities are, he's got to find a whole host of different names to communicate what he is and what he offers to his people. So in one instance, he's the God most high. In another, he's the God who sees. In another, he's the God who provides. In another, he's the God who rules. And you can just go on and on and on. You name a situation that you find yourself in today. And God has a name for your need there. God has a name that he can relate to you with because he is in very nature and character who and what you need, whatever your situation. 
And, and, this, and this is perhaps the most beautiful thing of all about the name of God and the way he reveals it to his people as he steps towards us. God has this special name. What he calls his covenant name, this personal name that most clearly, clearly shows us that he wants to uh, enter into relationship with people over 7,000 times in the Old Testament it is used. When you read it in, your, in most English translations of your Bible, it's the Lord cap, uh, in, in capitals. People used to, to refer to it as Yahweh. This is God who wants to know, who wants to be in relationship with people, who steps towards us. And so the name of God is really significant in the Bible. It's really significant in Christian spirituality. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, God, your name be honored as holy. Now, if, if all that we've just said is true, if names are loaded with meaning, if God's name is an expression of his character, his nature and his being, then when Jesus teaches us to say, God, your name be honored as holy, let's be clear, we're not making God's name holy by saying that prayer. We're not asking God to make his name holy, for clearly God's name is already holy because God himself, the one who bears the name, is holy. Holiness is what you get if you add up all of, the, all of God's perfections, all of his attributes and his characteristics. And, you, and, and if you like, you added them up, the sum of everything that is good and that is true and that is beautiful. The Christian uh, writer Jackie Hill Perry says that to say that God is holy is to say that God is God. Holiness is not an aspect of God. Holiness is who he is through and through. At the point when we begin to think of God as being anything other than holy, that's the moment we are imagining a completely different God altogether. Holiness is God. You want to know what holiness is? You want to to see it acted out? You want to see it in practice? Well, look at the God of the Bible. Hear him. See him. He's in a class of one. He is the I am, the God who was and is and is to come. Now, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I just can't do it. Because this is where God is beyond our description and beyond our our comprehension, our ability to grasp. It's where God is so, so different and so other to us. But, but try for a moment, and maybe just close your eyes to help you. Try to get your head and your heart around pure, undiluted love. Try and, try and grasp full and complete justice. Wisdom that is untainted. Moral goodness with no ambiguity, no complexity, no shade, no compromise. Power that is perfectly under control and perfectly good. Life to the full forever. Perfect peace that passes understanding. Unbroken unity. Listen, these these things stretch our mind beyond what we can grasp, but this is the very nature of God, so we would expect that to be the case, wouldn't we? We let it not only stretch your mind, but swell your heart in adoration and in praise. So maybe, maybe this is a thought that will, that will help. See, the, thinking about God's holiness leads us to realize how separate, sorry, how set apart from us God is. 
And, and often you hear Christians talk about God's holiness as his otherness, how different from us God is. So yes, it does show us that God is set apart in some way, but we should never think of his holiness as his separateness from us. Set apart, yes. Separate, no. God's holiness isn't about relational distance. Because yes, in one sense, there's a great distance between us and God because of his holiness and our lack of it. But it's also true to say there is no distance whatsoever between us and God because of his holiness. His holiness isn't about separation. Get this. It is God's holiness that leads him to draw near to that which is unholy. It is God's holiness that leads him to draw near to that which is unholy and make it holy. That's just mind-blowing, isn't it? It is perfection and his beauty that draws him towards you in your imperfection and your impurity. It is his holiness that assures you of his goodness. Holiness equals nearness. Now this is just such good news. God reveals his holy name to us. And he does that with the fierce love of a good and perfect Heavenly Father who is jealous and zealous to be, for us to be his and for him to be near to us and us near to him. Of course, we see this most, most clearly and, and put into action and demonstrated most clearly in the, in the life and the rescue mission of Jesus that the, the holiness of God there is both on display and radically and life-changingly shown to be for and near those who themselves know they are not holy for you and for me. Listen, this is the good news of the holy name of God. The second thing is to ask the question, what does it mean for God's holy name to be honoured as holy? This is what Jesus teaches us to pray. God, would your name be honoured as holy? What does he mean by that? Well, listen, it's not just acknowledging God's name and his nature is holy, but it's also longing for his name to be holy in the world. This is asking God to do something, but it's also prayerfully committing ourselves to something. It's asking that God, uh, asking God that his name would be seen uh, as and treated as holy in all things, including our lives. This is a lot more than just keeping the third commandment to not misuse the name uh, of God. And, and there's another big word here in the Bible that I think helps us to, to tap into this and get this, and, and it's the word glory. And we use the word, and the Bible uses the word glory, I think broadly, in two ways. The first one is to say the magnificence and the beauty and the worth that something has in and of itself. So you think, uh, you might talk about a glorious sunset, if you, if, you know, if you see a, see a really beautiful sunset, and you say it's glorious in and of itself, it, it has glory. The second way we use it, though, is how we respond to that. So we give glory to something or someone. We honor them and we recognize them. So in the case of the sunset, we, uh, we say, look, it is glorious, and we bask in and enjoy its glory. Now, given our 
reflections just now on the holy name of God. Don't you want to see his name honored as holy and to be given glory? I mean, that, that, that's God's ambition for, for uh, and his intention in the world. See, God's glory is the outshining of his holiness. His holiness being the sum of all of his perfection, perfections, the glory being that shining out and being seen. It's, it's his own inner perfection and goodness on display. It's his magnificence and beauty and the worth that he has in and of himself. God is glorious. Like a beautiful sunset that fills and dominates the whole horizon. God's glory is to fill the earth. That's his purpose in all things. And God goes about honoring his holy name, firstly by rescuing and saving a people for himself. And so we see God's glory in part when he comes to rescue his people and in the ongoing work of his lives, the ongoing work in the lives of his people. You see, God saves people for the sake of his name and for his glory. In Exodus 9.16, he says that his intention in overcoming Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt and saving his people is that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. In Acts 15 in the New Testament, Peter talks about God taking a people for his name. See, the Christian life is all to the praise and to the glory of God's. On top of that, one day, one day in the future, God's glory will be seen in full in all the earth. You see, see the, earth, the earth has been created, the, the earth has been made to be a receptacle, uh, something that holds the glory of the Lord, to be filled up with it. So there's this promise in, in Habakkuk in the Bible that, that one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One day, creation is going to be itself be liberated from, from its bondage to decay and all of the brokenness that, that Callum referred to earlier. And it's going to be brought into this freedom and the glory of God and his people. And so we're not just going to see the glory of God in the lives of his people and in his salvation, but we're going to see it in all things in all the world. Everything will be filled up with and speak of his glory. This is the great end to which the world is hurtling towards. And by the end, I don't mean the finish, but I mean the culmination and the fullness. Everything in all creation filled up with a knowledge of that glory of God. Everything filled up with God's holiness on display. Everything, everywhere, basking in and filled with that glory of God, his outstanding brilliance and his perfection. His one of a kind, beyond compare, in a league of his own beauty and goodness and truth and life. That is the great end to which all things are heading. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, Lord, would you do that? Would you bring that about? Would you achieve that? Would you cause your name to be honoured as holy in all things? Would you cause your glory to be seen for who you are? And you are holy God, and would all the glory be properly yours? God, this is something that we ask you to do. Now, of course, you can't pray that and therefore not want that in your own life too, can you? Well, not really. You can if you're a hypocrite. Or you can if you're just saying religious words like mumbo-jumbo that you don't really mean anything by. But that's what Jesus is teaching his friends to do. When something is really glorious, we give it glory. 
We talk about it. We enthuse, we, we delight in, we enjoy, we point to, we respect, we fame, we recognize. God is infinitely holy and glorious. God is infinitely worthy of all honor. He's infinitely worthy of being the most weighty and the most significant thing in our life and every decision in our life. He is infinitely worthy and deserving of our whole heart and devotion. But you know what I'm like? I'm like a car where its tracking's gone. I'm just veering off to the side. We all are. Just veering off to the side. We don't drive straight for that glory of God, but we just find other things, other glories leading us astray, just to cause us to take steps away to the side, these lesser glories, rather than making a name for God. We talk about making a name for ourselves. Or if we're smart, we don't talk about it because we know that sounds stupid, but we still live for it. And we live as glory thieves, taking the attention, taking the influence, taking the fame, taking the reputation, the respect, the honor, the glory from God and stealing it for ourselves. Christian, back in the 12th century called Anselm, said, if you fail to rightly honor God, you end up taking the honor due to him for yourself. If you don't honor God, you take the honor for yourself. We all do it. This is the greatest tragedy of the human life, that lives are lived in God's world, which is all about and destined to culminate in his glory, in his good glory. And our three score years and ten are spent hoarding glory for ourselves, not giving glory to God. And so God's name is dragged through the mud. He's not honored. He's not believed upon. He's not loved. He's not delighted in. He's not respected. He's ignored. That that is the thing that should really break our hearts if we're Christians about the lives of people around us and our families in inner city Birmingham, those we know. That is much more tragic that they're living in God's world, which is for his glory, and yet they're stealing glory away from him. That's so much more tragic than all of the stuff that flows out of that and follows from that, which itself is tragic. That's what should break our hearts. Church of God, that is not what we're to be like. Let's not be like that. Let's not be veering away to the side. Instead, let's pray this prayer and let's live for God's name to be honored in all things. And let's live for his name to be honored in the part of the world that I am responsible for, which is my life. That that crying out, God, would your name be honored as holy in all things in my life. Lord, hallowed be your name. You know, it's those who are closest to someone, those who know someone the best, uh, that, that is a great and glorious person, that see most clearly their greatness and their glory. And so who shout about it most and who bask most extravagantly in their glory. Those who are closest see it and enjoy it most. Um, back at the, I don't know if you saw this back in the, the, the Olympics in 2012, but there was this interview with this guy called Bert Leclose. Um, he was a South African guy, a dad of, of his son who was called Chad, 
who was a swimmer who beat Michael Phelps, who was like the best swimmer of his generation, to gold in the Olympics. And it was one of these interviews with his dad after he had got the gold. And uh, I'll maybe send around a link later. You've got to Google it if you haven't seen it. <clears throat> this, this South African dad, this big fellow, is just overflowing with pride and glory in his son. What a beautiful boy he is. He's beautiful. Uh, my life is just plain sailing from now on. It's just, he's just enthusing, and he's just full of life and in the glory of his son. And it's the father who is so close to his son that has led to such depths and extravagance of glorying in him. Family of God, God has brought us close. We are children of our father in heaven. We saw that last week. So we have a front row seat to see the glory of God. We see his glory in saving us. We see it in saving the people around us. We see it in his ongoing work in one another's lives. We see it in what he's doing in the world. We'll one day see it much more clearly, I'm sure. Can we be those who with joy and who with delight honor God's name as holy? Can we be those who, as those who are close to him, closest to him, give him all the honor and the glory due his name? Our very purpose as people, what life is all about, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To hallow his name in all things. To stand stand so in awe of God that we let his glory, the outshining of his holiness, shine in and then through our lives. And so our lives themselves are filled up with the awe and the the gloriness and the holiness of God and and our lives are filled up with respect and love for him, for delight in him and who he is and so then our lives overflow uh, to to his honour and his fame. To honour God's name as holy is for God to be our all-consuming passion be the thing that gets us up in the morning, to be our motive, our desire, to be our chief end in all things, whether they're small or big. It is for his nature and his character to have that bearing, to be that ballast that keeps us going straight and true, not veering right or left. And that bearing is in every... Every part of life and every situation, every day, every conversation, every website we visit, every place we go to, every financial decision we make, every friendship we navigate, every health appointment we go to, whatever else it is, every exam we take, all the glory evermore to him. Hallowed be your name. And of course, just coming to close, but we're faltering and following through on that. Even if in your heart right now, you're just 100% all in with me, like yes, yes, and yes. You and I know that we will continue to falter in these things. But the one who teaches us to pray these things, he doesn't falter. He didn't falter. In John 12, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And the response from the Father is, I have and I will again. In John 17, Jesus prays, glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. I have brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus alone always has honoured God the Father as holy. He always loved. 
He always obeyed. He was always perfectly holy in his own life. He never sought or held tightly to his own glory, but he sought the glory of the Father and the Spirit. And he died and he rose so that we could be made holy. And he died and he rose so that our image as those made, um, so that our honor as those made in God's image could be restored. And he died and he rose so that God's glory could be restored in all the world. So that this world could once again bask in the glory of God that it was designed to be filled with. See, Jesus is teaching us, as his friends, to ask exactly for what he delivers on. And so may all the glory evermore be to him. I'm just going to pray as the musicians come up and then we're going to, we're going to put this into practice in song. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God of all holiness and perfection and life and truth, whose name is holy, would you please extend your fame and your reputation in all the world? Please would your glory shine out. Please, in this church, would would it be a church where your glory is just shining in so many situations and people and lives? Would we just look at it as we look in gospel families together in one another's lives and see each other up close and just see mark after mark of your glory, of your holiness, of your goodness, and of your life? Lord, would we not be slow to see and declare and delight in your glory? But we'd be those who are most enthusiastic, most extravagantly over the top and into it and talk about it and enjoy it and would we spur one another on these things and Lord we look forward to the day when your glory will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea and we look forward to praising the glory of your name forevermore for you are glorious Amen